Tonight, I want to ask you a question. I'll ask you a question, and don't answer out loud, but I want you to come up with a question, the answer in your head. So I'm going to ask you what the primary purpose of the gospel is. What's the primary purpose of the gospel? A lot of people would say it's so that you can ask Jesus into your heart and that you can go to heaven. And that's true. That's true, and I don't want to take away from the importance of that one bit at all. But it's so much more than that. There's so much more to it than just going to heaven. Last time I shared, I shared from 1 John 1, 1 to 3, where the Apostle John, he's, he's correcting a bunch of doctrine, and he says, he's talking, he's saying things like, I, I was with Jesus, I know he's real, and he's given his whole list of qualifications of why we should believe what he's saying. And then he goes on in verses 3 to 7, and I'd like to, I'd like to read those with you. Now, and we're going to see what the Apostle Paul says the primary purpose of the gospel is. That's in 1 John 1, 3 to 7. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Now, listen for the word fellowship, because that's the word we're going to talk about tonight. It's a Greek word called koinonia, and it's very important, very important. So he says, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, back to my original question. I, I don't know what you get out of those couple verses. Here's what I get out of, out of those couple verses. I see the Apostle Paul saying, sorry, John. I called him Paul. It's okay. They're pals. They don't mind. I credit one for the other's letter. <laughs> uh, here's what I see him saying. The primary purpose of the gospel one of the primary purposes of the gospel. He's saying, I'm writing this to you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you all these things that you could have fellowship. This word koinonia, and I'll explain it more. I know it sounds odd. It sounds weird. That you could have this fellowship with each other and with God, with his son, Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder how many Christians in America 
miss out on one of the primary purposes of the gospel. Yeah, they might come to church and they might hear about Jesus and that he took your sins and that you don't have to die because he died for you and, and all those things. But if, if two hours on a Sunday is your only heart-to-heart connection with Jesus and the only time that you get to maybe interact with another believer, a lot of people don't even want that. They'll pull themselves back away from that. I think it's a ripoff. Jesus died for a lot more than us to come and sit our rear ends down in seats for a couple hours on Sunday, and that's the depth of our relationship with him. No, he died so he can have fellowship with you on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday. That there's a close connection between you and him. And that you have the same kind of connection with other believers. I don't know if that's your experience or not, but John says, this is what we want. We want that you have this kind of fellowship with Jesus and and with each other. So here at Wellspring... One of the huge values we have is this thing called koinonia. And it's in our name, Wellspring Fellowship. That's, fellowship is kind of an old-timey name, but maybe you don't think so. But it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful word. It's an amazing word. Um, koinonia, what the word fellowship means, it means... Um, Let me read it here. It means community. You hear a lot about the word community and how important community is. It means community. It means fellowship. It means a partnership. But it goes even deeper. It means an intimate connection with someone else. A higher level of fellowship. A unity of purpose. When I was reading about, about this word koinonia, I read that the original, the the framers of the language, the people that put the language together, um, they envisioned the word koinonia to mean like this harmonious utopia that everybody had lived together in, but that it was seldom realized just because man is like inherently selfish without Christ. Jesus makes a difference. When, When you have this kind of koinonia with Jesus, when you have this close, intimate connection with him, it'll change your heart that you respond completely different to the way around you. So, koinonia isn't a religious word, but it's used many times in the Bible. <clears throat> I know we don't, we don't use the word. It sounds a little odd, so I'm going to get you to say it. Can we do that? Um, Koinonia is the proper way to say it. It's a little bit difficult. Let's say koinonia. And I'm going to ask you to... to, You you just shout it out with me. We're going to say it three times. Koinonia. Koinonia. Say it louder. Koinonia. All right. Now it's going to stick in your brain for the rest of the week. 
and I won't sound as weird when I say it <laughs> for the next 30 minutes. All right? Here's something I want you to remember. If koinonia is the train, love and honor are the rails that it rides on. You could say, if community is the train, love and honor are the rails that it rides on. So at Wellspring, we want to build strong community. We want every person here to be able to have strong ties to, to each other. We don't want people to feel lonely and by themselves. If you want that, if you want that train to like not sit in its spot, but to move forward, there's two things that have to be in place. Love and honor. They have to be. That's going to make the train move forward smoothly. Make, make the make community move forward smoothly. Fellowship. Marriage. If you want a good marriage, you got to have love and honor. If you want a good marriage, okay, it, it, it works in so many different aspects. Um, I'd like to read a couple different verses that talk about you and I being the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ is made up of many members, the Bible says. We don't have time to go there, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about how important every single member is. He spends half the chapter, literally half the entire chapter, he's talking about, you can't have the head say to the feet, I don't need you. You can't have an eye look at a hand and say, I don't need you. I don't want you. So there's some people in here that are hands. There's some people that are feet. Some might be toes. It's just an analogy, guys. Loosen up. You can never say, you can never say to someone else, no matter where they are, I don't need you. The Bible says if they're part of the body, they have a purpose. They have a purpose. That's in, that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But I want to read Romans 12, 4 to 10. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. Romans 12, 4 to 10. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We have many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, 
Do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. I want everybody in the room, every child, every person, take your finger and point it right here. There you go. Say, I have a purpose. I belong. The body needs me. Say it again. The body needs me. It's true. Every single person in here has a purpose. That's what he's saying here. And if you remove yourself from community, you don't only rip yourself off. You don't only rob yourself of the blessing that you can experience. You're actually robbing others from the gift that you carry. Every single person has something that is unique that the person beside you doesn't have. I can't be Andrew. I can't be Phil. I can't be Loretta. Each person has something unique. And you're valuable. So whenever you have the thought that goes through your head that says, I don't belong. No one needs me. It's a lie. It's a lie. You still haven't found that place, perhaps. But you do have a purpose that you're called to fulfill. Every one of us does. In the middle of here, it says, hate what is wrong. And one of the reasons that's in there, hate what is wrong. In the very first verses I read, it says in, in 1 John, it says about, if you say you love God and walk in darkness, you lie and don't practice the truth. Why would he, in the middle of all this, talking about relationships with each other and interactions, and he says, hate what's wrong, which he's talking about sin. And when he says about walking in darkness in 1 John, he's talking about sin. Why would he throw that right in the middle? Because sin always brings a separation. Sin brings a separation. At a heart level. In my marriage, if I would commit adultery, it would create a separation in our marriage. That's just the result of it. A separation that would have to be healed. Sin brings a separation. It's, it's what we see happening in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. There was a beautiful harmony that they walked in, that they lived in, that they experienced. It was perfect. It was that harmonious utopia, real koinia. And then the, Satan brought separation. He is in the separation business. Jesus is always in the connection business. He wants to connect your heart to him. He wants to connect your heart to each other. We need each other. <clears throat> I want to read um, John 17, 
20 to 23. Andrew, would you bring, would you bring out my whiteboard? I had a little whiteboard. I lost it. So now I'm using Mr. Massive. I've shared parts of this before. So if you've seen me do this before, just thank God and say, I need to be refreshed. I want to read, if you want to go along with me, uh, this is John 17, 20 to 23. This is Jesus' prayer right before he goes to the cross, okay? These are Jesus' words. And he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be one with us as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And verse 26, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I don't know if you were able to keep track with all that stuff. There's a lot of back and forth, I and you and me and thou. So this is how my brain works. It works best if I see something. So I'm going to try to illustrate it. Ready? I do not pray for these alone. I do not pray for these alone. This is you and I. This is the body. Jesus, the Father. But also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be, <clears throat> that they may be all be one. He's praying for you and I. He's praying for unity. Among us, he says, I pray that they may be one in unity. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, God gave glory to Jesus, now I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. There he repeats himself. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know, the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them 
that you have loved them as you have loved me. Did you guys hear that? You have loved them as you have loved me. I, I don't know if you believe that. Jesus right here says that the Father has the same amount of love for you. For you. That he did for Jesus. Does anybody have any trouble believing that God loves Jesus? I don't, I don't think you do. Like, I think we believe that. None of us doubts that a whole lot. But are there moments when you doubt that God really loves you? That he has a plan and a purpose for you? That he sees you where you are? Jesus is saying right here, this is a promise that some of us need to write down. Write it out in your own way so that it makes sense to you. I know God loves Jesus. Jesus said he loves me just as much. Somewhere where you can see it, somewhere where it reminds you of that truth, that'll combat some lies that go on in your head. Verse 26, And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Circles better than a triangle. Do you see that, guys? That looks like harmony. That looks like unity. That looks like love. That's amazing. Jesus says this is what he died for. This is what's possible. Let's, let's live this way. Let's make an effort to live believing that this kind of thing is possible for us to walk in. Thanks, Andrew. You can put it back. Jesus was so passionate about koinonia with each other, your relationship with the person beside you, behind you, around you, that he said in Matthew 5.23, he said, if you, I'm paraphrasing, if you come to a worship service and you're up there with your hands in the air, you're worshiping me, and a thought goes in your head, there's someone that's got something against me. There's someone who, there's a rift in our relationship. He said, just stop right there. Leave your gift and go make it right and then come back. I don't know how many of us have ever practiced that. That's what Jesus, like, that's saying he cares a lot about our relationship, about the way we treat each other. Maybe we need to look at that a little deeper. Maybe Jesus knows something that we're not, we're not thinking is that important. That's Matthew 5.23. There is um, 59 verses in the Bible that talk about one another. And I would, I think there's books about it or something like that. I often thought, what's the deal with one another? But it meant a lot more to me once I recognized that every single one another 
started with an action towards somebody else. Does that make sense? So we have all these, all these um, verses or instruction that tells us how to insert a word, one another, someone else. And I'm just going to grab a, grab a couple here. Not all 59. It says, be at peace with one another. Love one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Carry each other's burdens. Forgive one another. Teach one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Here's, here's an interesting one. It says, spur one another on to love and good works. It's, it's old language. I don't know what, the, uh, what a translation would be. Spur one another on to love and good works. Have you ever done that? What would that look like? What would it look like to spur someone on to good works? There's a thought for you. Think about it. Don't slander each other. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to each other. There's a few. Here's a quote by Andy Stanley. He says, When everyone is sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. Isn't that good? Like if, if this is the entirety of our Christian experience, is sitting on rows, sitting in rows on a Sunday, morning or night, you're not able to do these things to each other. This talks about doing life with each other, being involved in each other's lives. Okay, I have, I think, three <clears throat> different things that I want to uh, say that if you embrace koinia, that if you make this a way of life, this is what it will produce. This is what it will help you in. So the first one is koinia is a key ingredient to spiritual maturity. Did you know that you can get spiritual knowledge all by yourself? Like you can learn it all by yourself. You can listen to podcasts, watch YouTube all day long if that's what you want to do. You can gain spiritual knowledge all by yourself. But to gain spiritual maturity, you're going to need others. Do you know how spiritual maturity is gauged? Like, how do you gauge spiritual maturity? Is it if you've been a Christian for 40 years, are you spiritually mature? No. Maybe if you can, like, memorize the entire New Testament, then you are spiritually mature. No. That's not even spiritual maturity. 
The way you gauge spiritual maturity is by the way you relate to each other, by your interactions. If you can, if you can interact, even in difficult circumstances, with love and honor, that says whether you're a spiritually mature person or not. Iron sharpens iron. I don't even know where the verse is, but it, but uh, Psalm, Psalm, I think Psalm, maybe Proverbs, talks about iron sharpens iron, just as a man sharpens his friend. It's in the daily rub of relationships. If you make yourself vulnerable, if you make yourself open to relationships at that level, it will, it will sharpen. It'll take some stuff off. There's a real quick story. I know some of you have heard it before, but I want to just share it for those that haven't. There's a Bible teacher that I like to listen to, and I remember a story that he shared. And he traveled all over the country doing conferences. And at each one of his conferences, he had these guys, three men that would show up, and they'd sit in the front row, and they would have their tablets and their, and their pens, and they would be there with stern looks on their faces. They were very disproving, and they told him they're against his ministry, and they want to they wanna stop his ministry, stop what he's doing. And they had all these online forums about things and call him a false prophet and all these different, all these different things they were saying about him. And he, he just couldn't stand it. You know, how would you like for these people to always be against you? And they're always right there. It, it'd be constantly in your mind. And it was constantly in his. And he hated it. He's like, God, take them away. I don't want them in my life anymore. And one night he had a dream. And in the dream, he was in the throne room with God. And he's, he's there and he's watching. There's three workmen. They're carving a piece of granite. And they have hammers and they have chisels and they're working away. And in the dream, he heard God say, they'll work a lot better if you encourage them. And so he started encouraging him. He said, go for it. You can do it. Not much more. You're doing a great job. It's looking wonderful. And that's the way he's going for it. And he said, he's getting up and he's shouting encouragement after encouragement. And all of a sudden, he saw his face appear in the piece of granite. And he saw himself. And the three workmen turned around, and it was the three men on the front. They were creating something that couldn't have been attained in another way. Iron sharpens iron. Sometimes the hard things make you sharp. <clears throat> The second one is um, koinonia will reveal the blind spots that you can't see. I had an experience this week. Well, I won't, I won't, um, I'll spare you the details. Let's just say, if you ever, if I'm ever talking to you and I walk away and I go and see in the mirror that I have a booger in my nose and you didn't say anything about it, I won't hate you for it, but I'll just realize that our friendship wasn't still at that level where you could say anything. 
If you love me, please say something. <laughs> All of us have some boogers that we can't see. I kind of told you what my experience was, right? <laughs> Obviously, I'm talking about more than just actual boogers. But, but we have things in our life that we're kind of oblivious to, that we can't see. That other people in your life can point out to you. But will you allow them to do that? It hurts. I've experienced it. I had someone in my life that was, I, I got in a very negative way of thinking. And I just was circling in that. You ever just circle in self-pity just because it feels so good and everything is rotten? Good, I'm glad none of you do. I, I do that sometimes. And I had somebody grab a hold of me and say, listen, you don't, like, I, you probably don't know what you're doing right now, but what you're doing is wrong. Like, it's wrong. And I couldn't see it. I just thought things were rotten. He said, you have to change your thoughts. You have to change the way you're thinking. You're not going to get anywhere thinking the way you are. And it made me angry. Literally did. And I'm kind of fuming about it. Until I decided to open my heart because there's blind spots, there's boogers that I can't always see. And when I opened my heart, suddenly it was like it was like something was covering my eyes and it fell off. And all of a sudden I saw how rotten I'd become, how rotten my thinking, stinking thinking, how much that had become. But I needed somebody, somebody with Somebody is close to me, and I had to open my heart to be vulnerable. It doesn't always feel the best. <clears throat> Third one is, koinia shows the world what true love and connection looks like. The world's used to not only seeing hatred and strife toward other people, they're used to seeing a lot of fake, a lot of fake relationships. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By? By the way you love each other. A lot of us grew up, some of us grew up, where you dress a certain way to identify. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't even say, if you do miracles, people will know that you're my disciples. If you can really prophesy, if you can, if you can heal somebody's sickness, then everybody will know you're my disciples. He doesn't even say that. He says, by the way you love, by the way you love, that's what's going to reveal to the world that you're my disciple. That's what's real. You know, I know suicide's always been around, but it feels like I hear more of it all the time. Just in this past week, this, there's, you know, even a pastor in California, someone on the campus here at Cuca College. And then there was another person who lived in California but was from Penyan. I feel like I hear, hear more and more. And sometimes you wonder, what, what is it from? I know people feel really lonely, but I wonder if sometimes all the interactions that people have on social media, 
You have all these different social media platforms. And you can have interactions with hundreds, if not thousands, of different people and still not have a true heart-to-heart -heart connection with a single person. So you can feel absolutely lonely while you're surrounded by people. And I think that's what happens to people. People settle for how many likes they can get instead of pressing into true love and the vulnerability and the messiness that that can expose you to sometimes. It'll show the world what real love looks like. My last one is uh, a question. How are you sowing into Koenia now? Like, if you want this, if you want this kind of heart-to-heart -heart connection with another person, what are you doing about it now? Is there something you're, you're actually doing about it? To sow into something means to, to make a small effort and expect that it will come back to you, some kind of harvest, some kind of return will come back to you. I was at a meeting one time when uh, there was an altar call and I went up front and I'm praying and I had an, a pastor come up and uh, put his arm around me. No one from here. Came up and put his arm around me and he said, oh, I know how it is to be a pastor. It's incredibly lonely. No one understands, you know, people don't understand what you're going through. And, and I, he had, I knew he had a good heart in what he was trying to pray, but he was praying his experience. And it wasn't my experience at all. It just revealed to me that you can spend your life surrounded by people and your life's work is connecting people and connecting them to God and still isolate yourself that's what he did his life work is connecting people but he pulled himself back into a place where nobody was able to access him he wasn't being vulnerable with anybody else and I just couldn't get what he was praying for because it wasn't my experience my life was and is full of so many loving Wonderful people, loving relationships, but you have to be vulnerable, and it's not always easy. Why don't you stand up? <clears throat> so, we have care groups, and care groups begin this week, but they're only a platform f to make it happen. You have to make the choice. Are you going to be vulnerable? Are you going to let people into your life? Or are you going to close yourself off because you got stuff to protect? And you're going to remain lonely. That's a choice every one of us have to make. And if you become vulnerable, you allow yourself to make that heart-to-heart -heart connection. So I don't know where you're at, but, you know, I believe... Holy Spirit can show you exactly what you need to do to make a heart-to-heart -heart connection with a person if you are feeling lonely. If you are feeling isolated. So let's just take a couple minutes right now. 
I'm going to pray a prayer out of Psalm 68. You ask the Lord, say, how could I sow into this community thing this week, into this koenia? How could I sow into that this very week? What could I do? He might show you that you have to call somebody, that you have to take him out for coffee, that you have to take him out for a meal, that you have to be there for him. I don't know what he'll show you, but ask him to reveal a person to you. And maybe that person's at a, at a time of crisis in their life, but maybe they're at the time when they need someone like you, and it's something that both of your hearts need. Why don't you just ask the Lord for the next minute? I'm going to read this prayer. Psalm 68 says, He's a father to the fatherless a defender of widows. This is God, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoner free and gives him joy. But he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Father, I pray that it would be everyone at Wellsprings experience that you place the lonely in families. That we wouldn't live isolated. We wouldn't live unto ourselves. We'd open our hearts and invite other people in. Show us how to do community well. Show us how to show Penyan true love. What does it look like? Teach us that, Lord. Give us wisdom. Let us experience that unity with you and with each other. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.